Welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Legendary Gear, the game call company that is legend by design. Well, folks, I'm here with my good friend Jesse Heiling um, from Rutay Shotguns. We had a... How you doing, Jesse? I'm great, Mr. George. How are you, sir? Buddy, I'm doing great and fine as frog hair and, and uh, so excited to have you on. It's... Uh, we both kind of live busy lives and things going on in different directions. And uh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, but that's just, you know, it's a great life. I wouldn't want it any other way. I'm just, uh, you know, it's been a year of using Retay and being out there. And one that's one of the reasons I called you up and said, hey, man, let's do a podcast. I've got now I got some, you know, some time under my belt of using, you know, Retay and, and not just the 12 gauge, the introduction of this last year, which I basically used ultimately exclusively was the 20 gauge. And uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, now that I got the year into my belt, I can give my feedbacks of uh, my thoughts and, and, and uh, opinions on the shotgun. And I thought it'd be a great time to get you on and explain as well and things that you did to make Absolutely. it so well and what we're seeing. But um, I will say that in, in my back, my background in manufacturing was quality control and design and things like that. So I've always been that booger that, you know, I've always wanted to see what makes the clock tick. And uh, <laughs> and with the Rache, the Rate shotgun, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, you talked about lengthening the forcing cones, which... I've shot about every shotgun in all the years of 45 plus years of hunting waterfowl and chasing and shooting every gun under the sun. You know, that pattern of guns and, and see where they shoot and choke systems and everything has always been a huge part of my life. And uh, it seems like with the past, what I've found with uh, other guns that we used that, you know, there was always an aftermarket system or there was aftermarket work that we had to do to the shotguns to make them a little bit more better, to make them more consistent, I guess the word, I like the word consistent and um, yeah. in the field. And, and the whole thing at the end of the day is uh, putting more birds on the ground, uh, you know, efficiently and uh, more dead birds on the ground. And, and um, that's one of the things that I was so surprised one thing with the rate with all the setups you know with everything it's easy to get the gun to fit and pattern but what made it tick where we're talking about the clock ticking is i i couldn't wait to, to shoot the you know on a, on a pattern board and see yeah. what this gun really does if it holds up is it, is it hype or is it true and uh, i will say i was i think that's one of the reasons that i loved and, and shot so well with my 20 gauge is that I, it didn't matter the cheap shells and, and that's what i started with is some cheap trap loads and we moved up there but yep. the consistent you know the consistency and i will say the consistency and uni uniformity of the patterns absolutely and absolutely. Uh, and then densities and you know tell guys that uh, you know it it all it you know you can kill you'll kill more geese with a 20 gauge, three inch 20 gauge that shoots exactly where you're looking than a 12, three and a half, 12 that has scattered and, and broken patterns all over. It's about the amount of pellets, you know, a BB is the same size in a three and a half, 12 it is in a 20 gauge or a 410. And um, that is what I would say, you know, without having any aftermarket, your sales point of the lengthening and the, force cone, uh, the forcing cones and everything truly is not hype. And uh, it definitely, when you put it on the pattern board, it's the proof is in the pudding. And I'm going to let you go yes, from sir. there. Well, no, I, I appreciate all of that. And trust me, I, uh, 
these are the greatest conversations for me to have because at, at the end of the day, you know, in my position, and I talk a lot, and, and people uh, people listen to our podcast, and they, they see me all around the country, and I, I think a lot of times guys will look at it and be like, you know what, he just works for them. You know, I'm sure he's got to tell everybody this and that. The difference is is, is I, I tend to encourage people to, to, number one, put their guns on the paper, and, and that's something that, unfortunately, not a lot of waterfowlers ever do. Um, and I think that's, that's, a, that's doing nothing but a disservice to yourself and, and really a disservice to, to the animals that you're shooting. Um, at the end of the day, getting, getting the, the, the proof in the pudding uh, is, is really where I like to talk at because guys will, you know, we may talk one, one summer and then I won't talk to them until after waterfowl season's over. And then they'll be like, hey, man, this, this is exactly what you said it was. You know, being in the quality control world like yourself, that's something that we always strive to improve upon. You're, you're never going to be perfect, right? Because at the end of the day, it's still a man-made product. Uh, there's things that, you know, these, these products touch 25, 35 different people by the time they're in production and being made. So sure. we're always trying to keep, you know, keep a handle on top of the quality control and make sure that we're putting a great product out. But like you said, the proof is, in, is, is really in the patent. Um, we, we, can, we can talk about it all day long as far as the – specifics of the manufacturing with our drilled barrels, the length and forcing cones. We put a lot of uh, information out on, on our website and on our YouTube page about the, the pattern testing that we've done, but ultimately hearing it from somebody who's putting them in the field, in use, that's really where the return comes for us. And, and, and that's where people listen, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, can, I can spew a lot of things out to people and they'll be like, ah, they, he works for them. But at the end of the day, I'm also a, a consumer and a user of our product, and I believe in it that way. So I, I greatly appreciate that, and uh, and and it, I love when people also come back to the 20 gauge world because a lot of times when I talk about our 20 gauge product or just 20 gauges in general, you get a lot of kickback. You know, oh well, I'm a I'm a three and a half inch 12 gauge guy. I always have been. I want to I want to have more knockdown power. Well, that's not necessarily the truth. If, like you said, a BB and a, and a 410 and a BB and a 12 gauge are the same size. At this point in, in time with technology on shot shells, they're moving at the same speed. So really what you're talking about is overall shot you know, quantity inside of that shell. And from a 3-inch 12 gauge, let's just say number 3, to a 3-inch 20 gauge number 3, you're really only losing about 9, of, 9 to 11% of the pattern you know, density at, at, at the beginning. So that equates to anywhere from 27 to 31 pellets. The difference is, is that that bore diameter is so much smaller that you're actually getting a much more uniform pattern put down range because you're not having, you know, all those extra pellets trying to be forced through a, you know, unfortunately guys, as soon as they, they buy a product, the first thing they want to do is go screw in an extra long range full choke. And it's always blowed my mind because guys, if you put those on paper, you may see a foot, two foot gap in between pellets. You may see, you know, giant baseball-sized holes, which could ultimately be the, the fatal kill zone for, for that bird that you're shooting at. So, so seeing uniformity, and I love that word because that's what I strive for, especially in a turkey gun. I want, uh, I want the most uniform pattern. It doesn't have to be, you know, an eight-foot spread. It doesn't have to be a four-foot spread. I want that, that pattern to be where I want to put it on target and then ultimately do the most damage and make an ethical clean kill right out of the gate. So I appreciate hearing that from you, and it means – it means a lot because, like you said, you've been around a lot of different products and shot a lot of different products. But, you know, we, uh, I have a, a full heart of belief on, on our system and the way that it works. So it's good to hear other people relate. You know, in that misconception, I want to, that uh, by testing guns and pattern guns, that people don't realize that 
um, you take a three. Now, when we shot the 10 gauges years ago, they, and when they came up with the three and a half twelves, they tried to say, you know, it's about 98% uh, whatever of a, a 10 gauge, right. which may be in pellets, but not really true because it didn't have the bore dimension of the bore right. diameter of a 10 gauge. So that 10 gauge came out. And, and so what the Yuma, you know, we're, we're, we're wing shooting is what we were doing yeah. when waterfowl. So scatter gunning pretty much. It's exactly. So you're wanting that, yep. that, uh, whether duck or goose, whatever you're hunting to fly into that yep. pattern, that's the perfect, you know, scenario. So that front pellets and those front BBs, when you're shooting on, that's what I'm saying. You're absolutely right. I can be just as lethal with that 20 gauge as, as the guy, with the the three and a half twelve here's what people don't realize with the three and a half twelve because it doesn't have the bore diameter it's actually got a long shot string so in, in wing shooting it can be detrimental that it's to me it was always wasted pattern especially if yep. that front shot is behind the bird or the gun doesn't pattern well and that's what I, you're exactly right i found with especially when you try to go to a tighter choke that uh, you yep. had you, you you had patterns broke up you would have too many to me way too big a gaps which could be yep. the difference between the neck and the head or a headshot you know of, of missing and yep. um it's, so vital area is not that big even on a even on a, on a big honker right you're still talking about a you know chest shooting a bird is just not relevant at distance right i mean they are you know a, a full quilled out honker in january is going to be a tough bird to kill if you're shooting them head on you know and trying to trying to chest shoot them at that point but you're also just i mean you're ruining meat and everything else but if you were to really put the concept down there, it's not a very large target you're trying to hit. So trying to concentrate a lot of pellets in that little that little target is really, I mean, you know, I, I go back to the ethics of it a lot. I was raised that way. I was, you know, I was I was taught to the dispatch of a deer as fast as possible and all those things. It means something to me now, and I teach it to my son and, and, and my daughter when she gets to the point. But, you know, I have a lot of guys, I think, sometimes will get distraught by a 20-gauge because there is a lot more clean misses and clean kills in a 20 gauge than you have in the 12 gauge because you are putting so much more density of that pattern into a certain area. So when 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 with with the ammo that I'm that I'm shooting, it, there's not much of a question between whether I hit a bird or I've missed a bird. Absolutely. So that that's always something that I look for as well. And I'll tell you one of the other benefits that I found, that since, especially if I'm taking new people, the younger kids or even an older person or if you got a female, um, I'm constantly talking about practicing, you know, shouldering the gun. A lot of birds are missed in that first before the even the, the trigger is even pulled. And I can tell you, you know, myself in the past, I can tell you when I shoulder a gun, especially when that lanyard of bands gets caught. That's why we don't hunt with it. But when I shoulder that gun, I know when I pull that trigger, I'm not going to get it. I just because I I failed on that and 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 the proper. Um, uh, shouldering my gun, that, that proper mount. And I'm always yep. talking about, man, I always used to put a mag light in the end of the barrel, sitting, even while you're watching TV where the ceiling, the wall, crest meets together, you know, I'd always point my gun, look, and, and see where your light beam, but practice swinging, and, and, but that yep. practice and shouldering, that it's the smoothest yep. thing at any angle we're laying, that one, and more geese, I think, are, and ducks and stuff are missed because of the, the heartbeat race to hurry up and get that first shot off or beat the next guy. Um, so what I found, with, with, with especially with the, your 20-gauge, it's balanced so great, the, the feel of it through the whole gun, but I'm working with people 
they the reason I think they do so well so quick is that they're able because of the maneuverability of the gun, the lightness of the gun to be able to yep. shoulder and get that proper shoulder before the first fire. Absolutely. I think one of the things that you may not even realize, and this is kind of a, a point to where a lot, and I have to almost show people a lot of times. I grew, I grew up, I grew up mainly layout hunting Canada geese. I didn't realize until later in my career of building that not everyone practices that way. Not everyone's comfortable setting up, you know, shouldering a gun, getting a good shot off, and especially when you have guys who, like you said, racing for that first bird, so on and so forth. That, to me. And, I, and in my group of guys, we tried to, to preach the whole system of pick your bird in your lane, make one good shot, and then everything else is a bonus from there, right? Because if you make that first shot count and you got eight guys in the field, picking up eight birds feels a lot better than picking up two or three because everybody's done wasted two shots trying to get a good you know, <laughs> shouldering on the, on the gun. Yeah. But if, the one thing about our retail products, if you take a look at the butt pad, You'll see that a lot of products on the market have a squared off butt pad. And for me, I don't wear jackets usually. I'm, I'm just a, I'm a bigger guy. I like to, you know, I, I might wear a base layer and a hoodie and then a vest. That's just kind of, it's going to have to be darn cold for me to put a jacket. I'm with you as well, buddy. I, I, it's too bulky. <laughs> I'm too big and it's too bulky. Absolutely. So um, with, with that being said, with people with jackets on, the top of our, our butt pads are actually shaved off and contoured off to where they don't promote grabbing and, and, and kind of getting caught up in a jacket or, or anything that you're pulling past. So that's one of the things, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, man, it feels really good. I can get it up to my shoulder. Well, that's actually by design, right? So, you know, with me especially shooting out of a layout most of my life, you know, until I was 22, 23, that was, uh, that was something that a lot of guys, I, I, could, I would take the time to look down the line and sometimes wouldn't even shoot just to try to help the guys that were hunting with me to understand that, Half the time they're shooting off the bicep. You know, they're shooting Absolutely. off of their yeah. collarbone. They have no aim. point of aim is nothing to them, and they're just kind of wailing at them. So I, I do agree with you. And, and there are you know the little the little details that that really come into play for us with with all the product, and that that's standard on any you know all the way down to our pump guns. They have the same butt pads on, them, and that's that's the reason more for it. Well, could you explain? That's one thing we'll talk about that you mentioned earlier. And I, I, like I said, I see the results of it. But can you explain to our listeners why Rite does the drilling of the barrel and also the lengthening of the forcing cone? Can you explain yeah. why you do that? Absolutely. So it, so hammer forging is, is the, the typical way of making uh, mass production shotgun. So it was, it's, a, it's a tactic in a way that, that has been really, I, I would say that it's been best case scenario for a lot of your larger manufacturers because two things one it's very fast so what they do is they actually take a piece of metal that's been honed out and then they they run it over top of a mandrel and they beat it a million times to get it to put back into its form right unfortunately if you've ever done any kind of metal work or you've been a welder or anything like that you understand that that metal is only at its strongest point one time and that's when it's in its rare raw material right so when it's raw it, it is as strong and it is molecular. The molecular structure of that metal is the best it can ever be when it's raw. When you take hammer forging, a lot of heating process and a lot of hammering and so on and so forth, you lose that that metal urge inside of the barrel. This is going into the the deeper scientific weeds here, but what ends up happening is is that even though you're beating it over a mandrel, the 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 case for the the actual hammers and their little like fingers and nodes they call them. 
the uh, the nodes they actually wear out between one and uh, and a hundred. A hundred is where they change them out. So they may beat a hundred barrels. Well, you don't ever know if you're getting barrel one or barrel one hundred. Right. And what the tolerances are inside of that barrel. So when it comes down to deep bore drilling, we actually take a raw piece of metal and we drill a pilot hole, and then we deep bore drill out the entire length of the barrel. So what you actually have is for us, it's 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 a bowler steel out of Austria. It comes in singular rods. And then those rods are only drilled at a very slow pace, and it takes a long time to do. Um, you know, a barrel completion for us may take up to a couple hours. I mean, it's wow. you know, four or five hours by the time it starts to finish when it comes down to the polishing process, the chroming and all that. So I, I'll leave you this one because I'm a, I'm a big person about questioning things, right? And, and some of the things we've heard over, over the years of cryogenically freezing the barrels. Well, if you cryogenically have to freeze a barrel – to get back some structure to it, that means you've really put it through a lot of stress to get it to the point it's on, right? Good point. So you're getting a lot of inconsistencies. You're getting a lot of, uh, and truly straight barrels. You know, we, we've, we've actually, ta- and this one kind of blows my mind, the dead straight barrel or straight shooting shotgun is actually something that was trademarked by us because no one had ever said, hey, we have a dead straight barrel. Well, that's because hammer forging doesn't allow you to get a dead straight barrel. You're actually going to have a lot of inconsistencies in that barrel. So drilling is the only process you can have for that. Once once the deep bore drilling is done, the lengthening, the lengthening forcing cone actually comes from, and we'll talk in 12 gauge, it's kind of the most round numbers. There's a, excuse me, there's a, there's a chamber diameter in a 12 gauge, which is where the shell actually fits into, and that's 0.801 on average. And then the, the typical barrel diameter on a 12 gauge shotgun, when you get down the barrel, is actually 0.724. So somewhere from the, where that 801 starts where the chamber is to 724 in the barrel, there has to be a, a, a decrease in the, the inside diameter of the barrel. So for most hammer forging, and actually all hammer forging, to my knowledge, that happens in a very, very, very small area because they're doing it on a mandrel, and, and they're actually not able to, to lengthen that, that area out because of the way that the, the spoke mandrel is made. It's so a very abrupt, a, abrupt angle. Abrupt. Yeah. Yes, abrupt angle. So it's very steep. It goes from you know 801 to 724 very fast. What that does is actually creates a lot of loss of velocity, number one, because you've got kind of a, a construed pattern coming out. But really what you're getting is deflection in the pattern. So you've got these pellets that if you were to take a, a shotgun and really slow it down into hyperspeed, you know, you're, you can see the pattern deformation coming out. And where you, a lot of guys talk about flyers, right? If you put your paper on or you put your gun on paper, the flyer patterns, you may have one pellet that's like five feet to the right if you have a big enough patterning board, right? Or you may have a, a bunch of pellets that are a foot low outside of the actual true pattern that you have. The reason for that is because once those pellets are deformed coming down the barrel, they really don't gain back their true structure and they have a lot of spin. And that's where, you know, they'll come out kind of like a curveball. And I always equate to it as two golf balls. So you're taking all these pellets, especially in a 12 gauge, and you're constricting them down. And if they're not moving on a straight path, what they're going to do is they're actually going to push together all at the choke tube. And then if you take two golf balls and you push them together in your fingers, what typically happens? They're going to pop out. Pop spin, out. Right? Yep. Same thing. Same thing's happening with these, these 12 gauge loads and, and even some over constricted 20 gauges, depending on shot you know, size. But that's where you're creating the flyers and the gaps. And the further that, that shot travels, the, the more you know, variance you're going to get in those flyers. I mean, there's, you know, spin is a crazy thing. So once you promote spin, you're going to continue to travel that spin, you know, 10-foot off pattern by the time you're at 40 yards. So that's one of the things with a, with a length and forcing cone 
we actually take the, the space from the, the chamber diameter to the forcing or to the to the actual barrel diameter and we lengthen that out. And and that way if in if you're trying to put a visual to it, think of taking a bucket full of golf balls and throwing them down a hallway. They're gonna bounce all over the place. They're gonna get to the end of the hallway and they're gonna stop there, right? But ultimately they're gonna just kind of be everywhere. Now if you take two boards and you set them up at the beginning of the hallway and you just have a little bit of an area to where they can kind of form up, what's gonna happen is is all those golf balls are gonna get into a straight line and they're gonna travel down the hallway together. That on a layman's term is what we're doing with lengthening the forcing cones. And and some of the the best products on the market and this is this is not you know with retail we have inertia and there's a lot of other things into the kinetic energy side of it. If you lengthen the forcing cone too long, you have a dispersion of gas and then it doesn't cycle and so on and so forth. But hmm. some of the best made products on the market are lengthened forcing cones from the chamber all the way to the choke tube. Now those in retail are going to start at about twelve thousand dollars, and that's going to be mainly in over and unders, right? Because they don't have to worry about, about the kinetic gas. energy and the gases yeah. and everything else, right? So those over and unders that are selling for twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, they may have fifteen inch forcing cones or all the way to the end. You know, you may be at twenty thousand dollars by the time you get a fully drilled barrel that has a decreasing forcing cone. But that's the difference. We're selling products sub sixteen hundred dollars and doing the same thing, just on a smaller level to give the best product that we can, so it doesn't actually you know, damper out the functionality of the gun. And some people will say, Well, why don't you do it from the you know, from the, the chamber diameter all the way to the choke tube. It'd be the best you can go on the market. Well, it would, except for at that point, we've also lost all of the, the, the gas that creates back pressure and kinetic energy for recoil, and then our gun doesn't cycle at all. You know, so that's where there is a balancing point to it. So we've actually, we call it an optimized forcing cone for that reason. Um, we are a little bit longer than what typically happens in aftermarket uh, performance shotguns. We are longer than that. But at the same time, that's where a lot of people have a hard time understanding why we wouldn't go farther or why people don't do it right from the factory. Because when you when you lengthen a forcing cone, ultimately you're opening up more of that bore diameter, which creates more loss of gas, which creates less kinetic energy and recoil. So there is a fine line. It's a seesaw, right? You can you got to kind of walk on top of the seesaw a little bit. Well, you know what? That is the best explanation I have heard yet. And truly, you know, <laughs> it, the law of physics applies to everything that we do. And here, and I'm going to mention top brand gun um, he used in waterfowl, but he's hunted with turkeys. But he went and got a special uh, aftermarket turkey choke made and yep. then tried the new TSS low because he, he heard so much. And he put it in there and I think he had a three and a half inch shelf and he put it in this gun <laughs> and he said shot a foot to the right and and and, and not a student's a foot high and like a half a foot to the right and i'm putting yeah. right down and, I, and he said what what the heck is you know and he called the, the maker of the choke and he said well i would try you know maybe experiment with different low and i said dude it's because you're you know and that's what i explained i said you're running too big a load in a, an abrupt yeah. forcing cone and it's not releasing the pressure on that shot so it's just going out wherever it goes you know it's not absolutely it's not going where it's pointed and and that's it that's you explained it very well uh yeah and trust me that, that's the most layman terms i can get right because at the end of the day everybody's got to remember i'm just a dumb farm kid right so yeah. <laughs> i'm not a i'm not a college educated physicist by any means but what i have learned out of all this was a way to take all this information and kind of put it into something people can relate to and and like you said and, and I, I hope that if anybody listens to, to, to one point that i make tss is so hard and so dense it likes to breathe 
some people automatically are like, I want to shoot the tightest pattern possible. Well, that's great. But at the end of the day, when you put, when you put in force 700 to a thousand pellets down through a, a barrel, and then at the end of it, you're trying to choke it down as fast as you possibly can. And you're creating a backlog of pellets that are going to create a bunch of deformation. So for me, you know, and, I, and I'll give it kind of a, a, a generalized area. People can kind of work from here. And, and I've shot a lot of both calibers, but you're, you're talking about with a 12 gauge, if you're shooting TSS number nine, 660 is a great median point. Uniformity, there's no gaps, there's no, you know, it, it might be, it's not the tightest by any means, which also gets people in trouble with shooting birds in tight because now they're shooting golf balls at them. But at the same time, it's nice and uniform to 40 yards. That's all I, I want out of the pattern. In a 20 gauge, number nine TSS is a, is a 565. That's middle of the road again. It's not too tight where you're creating a bunch of gaps and having, you know, little like marble sized holes in the paper at the paper, but it's creating uniformity, no gaps, and it gives you ultimately the best you know, chance to make a good shot on a bird. Now you're also not shooting marbles at them at 12 yards. So that's kind of the middle ground. If anybody wants to think of a place to start, now you can, you can choke them down a little bit more, right? And, and some manufacturers are making like, you know, 545s and 540s for, for 20 gauge turkey loads, which to me is just way too tight. And I would never, ever go that tight because um, you're going to create a lot. Now, you may center punch and put a bunch of pellets in one, you know, three inch spot inside of the pattern. But with a with a bobbin head turkey that's coming in, that three inches is a, is a very small target to hit, you know, or that head is a very small target to hit with a three inch shot load. So that's kind of my median point there at, at, at where if you wanted to say, hey, I don't want to spend a bunch of money to go out and shoot all these different chokes, I would say you're going to be very happy at a 660 in the 12 gauge and a 565 in the 20 gauge. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I'd like to take a brief pause to give a shout out to our sponsors, Apex Ammo, Domain Outdoor, G5 Broadheads, Killing Sticks, Lacrosse Footwear, Prime Archery, Rite, Sitka Gear, Stan Releases, Yeti, and my good and talented friend, Brent Nadu, who wrote the music for our podcast. This year, um, hunting, you hunted with your turkey gun this year. And so what, what's been your thoughts with the turkey gun? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our turkey, we've, we've expanded upon our lineup in the turkey market for sure. Um, you know, as a waterfowl guy, being from Maryland, that's kind of my backbone and it always has been. But if I had to give it all up to do one thing, if I only could hunt <laughs> one species around the country, I've chased the turkey and because I, I just love it. There's a there's a certain passion that I have. You know, it's been deep rooted in me for a long time. And now that I've I've met a lot of these you know top biologists in the country and and people who have you know a good friend of mine, Jason Hart, with his with his uh, commitment to killing a, a turkey in all 49 states that they're inhabitable in, it really has even jolted my turkey. You know, <laughs> I, I call it stress at this point because that's really what it comes down to. But my my turkey drive is at an all time high. Um, so this year we wanted to definitely go ahead and offer a couple new things for the turkey season. So in our Gordian, which is our mainline turkey gun at this point, the 12 gauge Gordian and the 20 gauge Gordian, and also our pump gun, that's the GPS XL, it's a three and a half inch pump gun for those guys that still got to have that, you know, three and a half inch pack of punch to them. All of those models are available with a standard stock and also with a touch uh, grip pistol grip. So that was something that we really that we really got to uh, to unleash this year. Surprised me by all means. I when we were ordering, I was probably seventy thirty. I thought seventy percent of people want to shoot a standard stock, 
maybe 30% on one pistol grip. I was completely wrong. Within about 15 sales, 15 units of sales, um, on about 15,000 guns, we were, we were 50, 50 in standard stocks to pistol grips. Crazy. I, I never would have thought that, but there are a lot more pistol grip guys out there than, than I ever imagined. Yeah, I agree so. with that, man. When it comes to turkey hunting, I'm a pistol grip guy. Um, I could <laughs> shoot the standard stock, but if I have a, I have a choice, you can't beat the pistol grip. And yep. I mean, I would, I'll tell you what, I would choose to shoot a single shot if it had a pistol grip compared to, uh, you know, a, a semi-automatic that was a standard stock. That's just me yeah. and the turkey. It's just getting ready, and I don't know. It's just, it holds. I can crumble up. I yeah. can get hunched down, and, you know, that pistol yep. grip, you can get right down in there, and, and I agree Absolutely. with that. Um, yeah. So I've been opposite of that, I've, I've ne- and, and I'll give you kind of my background. It took me 20 years of, of hunting turkeys as much as I possibly could to realize that I've been an idiot for not shooting a red dot for an extended period of time. So I've only shot a red dot for two years now. Um, so <laughs> it took me a long time to get to where I would, where I would shoot a red dot. So at some point I'm probably going to try to talk myself into making myself shoot a, a pistol grip. Um, I always, you know, I always use the excuse, well, I'm already, I'm already wide enough. I don't want a pistol grip hanging off the back of me while I'm trying to, you know, move and, Move it. I, I like to make moves in the turkey woods. I don't like sure. to sit back. I want yeah. to make things happen. So that's always been been my my hiccup with it. But I, I gotta say, quite a few changes were made to the pistol grip before we put it to the market. Um, I, I'm not once again not saying this because I'm I'm Mr. Retail. It, it's the best feeling pistol grip that I've ever held. And with we have a, a soft touch mat um, rubber grip on it. You know, there's no separation. It's not janky. It's not plastic. Um, so when, when you settle in and you really grip a hold of it, I, it made me think pretty hard about it this year. I still didn't do it. I still shot a standard grip, but, um, it, it really does feel good. And a lot of guys, when they're in the stores and they'll go to pick them up and they'll, they'll kind of give that like regrip to it. And they're like, man, that really does feel good. And that's also out of design. We didn't want to just put another, you know, a me too pistol grip on the market. We wanted to make sure that people felt good and comfortable shooting it. Cause at the end of the day, if you're comfortable, you're going to shoot better. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what the pistol grip was for me, especially if you know, you're know you shooting a, a definitely a, probably a, a more powerful shell with more impact than your waterfowl load. And the pistol grip yep. just to me was absorbing the shot and holding steady, ah, you know, a little yep. bit better for me uh, than a standard grip. But I mean, they're both. You mentioned you covered something I want to talk about here for you. Uh, and what? I noticed on the website was your pump gun, um, the GPS. Yep. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so you know, one of the one of the things inside of the the hunting world that we come to find out, not not everybody's a semi-auto guy, and and I think because of the way the market is right now, um, with a lot of lower price pointed uh, semi-autos on the market, I think the pump definitely got kind of looked over because you could technically buy either a really good pump for around five hundred dollars or a really low grade semi-auto for. Three ninety nine. Let's be honest, right? Because they're out there. Um, you may not have ever heard of the name, but you're gonna be like, "Hey, man, I'm, I'm in the semi-auto game now." Well, that's. I think guys are trying to realize maybe that's not always the greatest case for Absolutely. people. Absolutely, right. You, can, you know, and, and you're gonna. You could potentially have a lot of issues with the gun that you pay a little bit of money for just to have a semi-auto. But for the pump gun, it came out of necessity for us during during COVID. Um, you know, we were finding. You know, there's almost nine million new gun owners in the U.S. Right. And when our uh, when our president dropped back and told everybody, you don't need an AR-15, go buy a shotgun. We've really seen 
a, a big kick up in the pump shotgun market for first time shotgun and home defense buyers, right? And so it's a lot easier we, to we, use. I mean, it's easier to absolutely. load. It's easily. I mean, I, my wife, yeah. I, it's absolutely if she uses the shotgun. But the AR. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not an AR guy. I, yeah. I'll be honest with you. I just, you know, as far as the practicality, I don't have a use for it. Um, and that's not saying anything against AR guys. I, I just don't have, you know, being on the Eastern Shore, of Maryland. One, we we have a very limited deer and rifle situation over here, where a lot of guys are using. You know, straight wall cartridge rifles and everything else. But even then, you know, with, with us hunting Sika deer and inside of the marshes and everything else, you're, you're not going to take a very extensive shot on anything in our area, right? So a lot of the, uh, the straight wall cartridge rifles that are out there have really taken up that. But, you know, at the same time, as far as the functionality, and, and I'll say this inside of a home defense situation, right? A, a pistol, a lot of things can go wrong. A lot of adrenaline's flowing. A lot of things that can, you know... Uh, false discharges and, and that sort of thing. Because at the end of the day, we're not all Rambo. We're not all spending eight hours a day training with our, with our pistol and AR to protect our house, right? A shotgun is a, is a great option for people, especially a pump gun, because now it's not a functionality thing. You know that, that when that trigger is pulled, pattern goes out the end, you pump it, bring the next one in, right? It's the most reliable thing in the world, especially in a high-stress situation. And we won't get into the details of, you know, numbers of, of people that, that – protected their homes with ARs versus shotguns. But anyway, it, it, it came out of that point in process. So we developed the GPS, which is our three-inch pump system, and that's a uh, compact. So it's an 18-and-a-half-inch barrel um, in a 12-gauge. So it really had a, a good fit inside of a home defense scenario. And then also an abbreviation to that, we developed the three-and-a-half-inch GPS XL, which is our you know, waterfowl edition and now turkey edition to the lineup as well. We're seeing a lot of these products being sold. They sit on the shelf for you know, anywhere between $3.99, uh, you know, actually $3.49 in black, to uh, you know, $4.49 in, uh, in camo and everything else. But it, it really is a, it's a standalone product for somebody who doesn't want to have a, a, a situation where they ever clean their guns. They don't want to worry about you know, spending $1,000 on a reliable semi-auto. And at the same time, maybe that's all they've ever shot they feel comfortable with, right? I will go back and say that if, if a new waterfowler is introduced, I like introducing them with pump shotguns because Absolutely. ultimately it's slowing them down. And, you know, I've, I've done it to friends of mine, you know, guys who are the fast shooters. Hey, man, listen, today I'm taking your gun, you're shooting a pump. And it may have been an 870, may have been whatever, right? Because this is pre-retake. They, but they knew at that point, hey, I got to make my first shot count. Right, and I have to take the time enough to pump this gun to get a full cycle out of it, especially on some old. And I'm gonna throw Mossberg under the boat here. I grew up shooting Mossberg shotguns. We were we were poor. That's what we had, right? Mossberg 500s was the gun that I shot. Yep. The time I was five years old, all the way until I was 20, right? So, with with those, you could get an abrupt pump and it actually not cycle. So you had to almost make sure you had to take the second, make a full good eject, and a full slide back out of the pump, right? That made me a better shooter in waterfowl situations because I had to think about what I was doing. I wasn't just boom, 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 shooting three shots off at the same bird that's already been shot three times because my adrenaline's rushing and everything else, right? So I think that a pump for a entry-level gun is, is a great option for people. We talk about it when we're in stores and a lot of, a lot of guys who are, are first-time users and, and so on and so forth are seeing a little bit more pickup and traction in the pumpkin. But we're excited about it. And like I said, it's been on the market for almost a full year now, and it's producing you know great results for us. And it really just turns back that there is still a 
pump market out there. Absolutely. Let me ask you this: and Is your, the making of the barrel the same for the pump as what you do with the semi-automatic? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so that's the. That's it. I'm glad. You, look, you, we should give you a job. I didn't even mention. That. I was talking more about the application of it. So we are the only pump gun on the market that has a deep bore drill barrel with a lengthened forcing gun. Hands right. down, there is no other way to look at it. Um, so we make barrels one way. We know how to make them good, and we're going to continue to make them that way. Um, our our compact home defense model. Sits on the shelf right right around 199 right now for a wow. lot of people, um, and that's still a drilled barrel with a length and forcing cone. Kind of unheard of, but you know we're also in a different market right now where the, the home defense pump guns, you know, pretty overstocked in a lot of areas. But you know, for me, and, and we'll have this up on our YouTube's uh, here in the next few months. I actually hunt it with our three-inch GPS pump gun, which is our, our home defense tactical compact. Um, I hunt. I, I kill two turkeys with it this year. Yeah, because at, at a, a an economic build of a turkey gun the way you want it it comes in black comes with an 18 and a half inch barrel and it comes ready for a picatinny rail it's dovetail railed on the top for a picatinny rail so for it, it, even if you you pulled you pulled out the full face value of our dovetail picatinny rail on our, on our shop.retaination.com uh, site if you paid the 50 dollars to buy the picatinny rail to adapt to it you're still under 250 dollars into having a turkey gun set up to put whatever choke tube you want in it and whatever you know, red dot you want to put on it. And it's a bona fide turkey killer. Same thing comes down the pipeline, though. That forcing cone being lengthened, even at an 18.5-inch barrel, you're still producing great results. It could be a 28-inch barrel or a 38-inch barrel. The pattern is not going to really show any kind of difference because that forcing cone is preconditioning the shot pattern before it ever gets to a choke tube. So yeah, that's a great that's point. Where yeah, so that that uh, that little gun, we're gonna do like an economic turkey build this year. We're gonna go with some friends of ours that have low price pointed, you know, choke tubes, low price pointed red dots, and then shoot a low price pointed uh, you know, shell and probably not even TSS. But we're gonna try to get a full com comprehensive package, and I think we can get it done for under four hundred dollars to have a dedicated turkey. You know, I tell you what, folks, I've shot the guns and the way they pattern, the consistency, and way of making the barrels. That is that pound for pound, dollar for dollar, the best deal on the market yes, the best bang free we used to always use the manufacturing what is the best bang for my buck and that right there <laughs> that's it my friend well jesse yeah. i appreciate you taking your time my friend and and i know you've been oh, busy course, and, and everything going on but i uh, hope to share a blind with you soon you're always welcome out here i got a spot for you out here in iowa and and shoot uh, yeah, one of our big that. turkeys you know you mentioned jason hart the funny thing diane filmed me <laughs> probably three years ago um right off our property there i scouted this bird and we set up for him and then she filmed me i was hunting with a bow he came right in of course he was he was just doing the whole display right from the roost and gave us yep. everything and come right in i whacked him with a bow and he had five beards and uh he weighed oh, uh, wow. he weighed 29 pounds and a little over 29 pounds it was whatever i can't remember but i remember jason I, and and uh, at that time when he was with uh, nomad uh, we always yep. we commit we would talk quite a bit and I was sending pictures that morning of my turkey, and, and I showed him the scale, and I can't remember if we had 31 inches of beard, 33 inches of beard all together. And the first thing he says is, had a certified scale? Well, it was one of those big scales. And I said, certified? Man, dude, I'm a redneck. I live out here in the country. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, no, it isn't, but it's a good scale. And he says, dude, he says, what would you do with him? Because that's the number uh two turkey in the state of iowa with a bow and that's 25th in the world and you know of course jason oh, wow. jason knows his numbers and i said dude absolutely i, I cleaned him he's in the freezer 
<laughs> but uh, I mean, four or three years ago, the same. That'd be four years I killed that. Three years ago, our last four turkeys that we found that we shot, and Diane and I, our average weight was twenty-seven and a half pounds out of the four turkeys. She killed That's one true. before we went to the Orkton show in Saskatchewan to speak, and I only got to go out one time with her before we had to leave. And um, I did the scouting, found the bird, killed him that morning, filmed it, and he weighed 29 pounds. So we we have some good birds out here, and and uh, so we'd love to get you out here and and uh, see if we can shoot that's you. That's awesome. That's, but, that's a lot different than what I'm used to. I can tell you that. I think we killed a bird this year with almost an 11. He was just shy of 11 inches of beard. I mean, absolutely fully matured and three year, you know, three and a half year old bird and. He weighed about 17 pounds. <laughs> well, I hunted with Mike Shanahan out there before, and, and oh, Trevor, that's right. yeah, yeah. And, and during the turkey in the spring, and hunted with him, and and yeah, you just didn't have the size of the turkeys. No, no. But he now, had, where I where I come from on the western side of the state, we do have you know we don't get spur length like we do down here in the sandy soil, but we definitely get a larger bird up there. You know, you're, you're averaging 21 to 24 yeah. pounds. Killed my first sick of deer with Mike. Oh, nice, nice. Look, yeah. he's up. I, look, I, he's a killer for sure. There ain't no doubt about it. He's got some great spots down there. So. I used to call him the Corn Man. Yeah, my nickname with him was, was Corn Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does a he has a great operation for uh, you know the sneak. It's a wonder he even let you let you in there to hunt a sneak deer. Most of the time I talked to him, he was like, oh, "I'm just sitting out here with my sneak deer," and he would be sitting out there hand feeding them. Oh yeah, so. he's yeah. Mike was uh, he was good hearted. Let me. But anyway, buddy, I appreciate your yes, time, sir. and, and uh, you take care of your family. And, and, folks, I hope you like this. Please subscribe. Go to the Rite's website. Get to check out the new pump shotgun and everything else they have to offer. I'm here to tell you they're, they're real. They're the real deal. And um, reach out. Anybody has any questions about them, you can reach out to geodlynch at gmail.com. You can reach me at any questions. You can uh, text me. Or, look, or go to us on Facebook, whatever, you know, I'll answer any question I have. I put these guns thoroughly through the test. They've meeting, I guess they've met my criteria of everything we like to call legendary gear. So anyway, folks, I hope you remember hunt safe, hunt smart, and may the good Lord be your guide. Well, I'll be out there rain shining All a part of the great design Bring it on, I can never get enough Because that's what legends are made of